0: I'm Cheryl Gould, and I am so glad that you're here. Hello, mamas, and welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're here today and trying to convince a middle schooler to listen to you can be frustrating to say the least because all of a sudden we know you have an alien living in your house and they begin to pull away and they don't wanna be seen with you. And oftentimes, especially now, all they wanna do is be with their friends, on their phones or locked away in their room. And with high school just around the corner, it can be scary for us as parents. And you know that you need to be having the important conversations to prepare them and keep them safe. But how do you do this when they don't want to talk to you and when you've tried and it doesn't go so well? Well, today I am talking with Michelle Eichard, who just released her latest book, 14 Talks, by age 14, the essential conversations you need to have with your kids before they start high school. But I want you to know that even if they're over 14, you still want to listen. And I highly recommend you get the book because Michelle shares conversation scripts. And I am such a big believer that it's never too late to have these conversations if you haven't have them. Michelle is a speaker, author, and educator who helps kids, parents, and teachers navigate the complicated social world of early adolescence. And here is Michelle to share some of the wisdom from her book and the best approach to having these essential talks. Let's jump in. Welcome, Michelle, and thank you for agreeing to be here today. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited, too. Yes, well, you just released this week your latest book, 14 Talks by Age 14, The Essential Conversations You Need to Have with Your Kids Before They Start High School. This is an awesome book. It's a must-read. You cover... All of the topics and the questions that I hear moms are asking, please help me with this. So I'm excited to launch in, but I have to ask you before we start about why you wrote this book and sharing about yourself. One of the things that drew me to you is your sense of humor and writing about what middle school was like and going to your website and seeing your picture and i I think it's really important for us to remember what it was like for us. And so what was middle school like for you?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. So middle school for me was awful. um i I felt like such an outsider. And of course, now, as an adult with perspective and somebody who works in this field, Uh, It's easy for me to recognize that pretty much everyone feels like an outsider, even the kids who are presenting as like super popular and likable. Um, It's just a phase of life where you really feel on the fringe in some way or another, or you suspect you might not be normal, you know, in, in some way. And kids are constantly questioning that. So my situation was um, I had started a private school in sixth grade, having moved from a public school. And in my mind, I have this image of what a kid would be like who went to a private school. And that's based entirely on the TV show Silver Spoons starring Ricky Schroeder, which was a popular (laughs) sitcom when I was little. And this kid was so rich. He had a little train that took him from room to room, you know. And so I was like, I'll never fit in with kids who go to a private school because that was my concept. So I showed up on the first day wearing like businesswoman attire (laughs) and all the kids were just wearing normal clothes, of course. Um, And that just like set my world upside down. And I was like, I I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a kid with these other kids. Like I'm so different. And so the next couple of years I spent floundering through friendships that didn't connect and really questioning myself and, and whether I could make friends and whether I was a misfit. And um, it, it, you know, it's just a big old uh, awkward mess for a few years. And then luckily in high school, I found theater and got really into our drama program. And that was kind of my um, saving grace moment where I really discovered confidence and friendship and all of that. But it was a rocky road for a little bit.
0: Yeah, I don't know anybody that would want to go back to middle school. Right. It's such a, it's such an awkward time and wanting to fit in and wanting to belong and feeling like you said, like I thought I was kind of weird too and switched schools and looking at what all the other kids were wearing and trying and what they were even saying and just trying to mimic what they were saying so I could kind of sound cool. Right. And so it is, it's just a really unusual time trying to figure all of this out. So tell everybody a little bit about your background and what led you to writing this book.
1: My background, um, I graduated college with a degree, I was certified to teach, and I thought I would teach, um, my certification was for seventh through twelfth grade. So it could have been middle, could have been high school, English. Um, which I love. And then I ended up, uh, you know, I did my student teaching, got my certification, but I ended up getting a job uh, at a big corporation instead. Um, So I worked as a business consultant for Arthur Anderson at the time. And I was like, oh, you know, this is cool. This is very grown up feeling. And I liked it. And then the Enron scandal hit and then the whole company folded. And at that, and I, and while I was there at Arthur Anderson, Every job I had, I didn't realize it at the time, I was turning into a teaching job again. So I'd be like in a meeting, raising my hand, can I write a manual about this? Like, I feel like we need to explain this better. Or can I run a training on that? So I always really felt pulled to teach, even though I didn't go in that direction as I thought I might. Um, anyway, the company folded. 80,000 employees were without jobs. I was one of them. And I had a, um, an almost two-year-old and a seven-month-old. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So at that point I said, well, I need to reinvent myself. And um, I started a little tutoring business and I worked with kids who were in middle school. And initially I thought I would be an academic coach, you know, cause the wheels kind of come off the cart in middle school for kids in terms of grades and they don't know how to study for tests and they can't multitask. And I was trying to help them with that, or, or that was my intention, but so many kids were opening up to me about what was happening socially with their friends mm-hmm. And listening to those stories about not wanting to eat lunch in the cafeteria because you didn't know who to sit with, or, you know, being afraid to raise your hand in class, all of these stories I was hearing were my experience too. So I just really pivoted and said, I want to do some research and I want to focus on how to make this time of life a little bit easier for kids and for their parents.
0: Wow. And being able to have your, you have your own story of struggle, which I'm imagining really helped you to be able to listen to those kids because you knew where they were coming from, at least somewhat because you had experienced it yourself.
1: Yeah. I always say, I I think the best math teacher is the teacher who was really bad at math, you know, (laughs) because they know why you're not getting it. And, And they're not just like, just, just do it. Just, you know, and so when I think you've struggled with something, you become a better
0: teacher of that. Yes, absolutely. I think that's why it's so important for us to remember <laughs> our own challenges and struggles. Absolutely. So, What are you help, um, hoping some of the takeaways will be for parents when they read your book?
1: For me, what I want parents to go in expecting is not that the book is there to give you all the right answers or that you should have the right answers, because I know it's daunting You think about all the stuff you want to talk to your kid about. I mean, by the time they're in middle school, the world opens up. And so parents freak out like danger, danger. There are so many possibilities, strangers on the Internet and drinking at parties and um, sexual exploration and like all this stuff. And so parents think I better clamp down for one thing. And then they think, I know I need to talk about all this stuff, but I don't know how and I don't know what to say. So the book helps with that, but truly we need to sort of unburden ourselves of this perfectionism around how to talk to our kid because the real takeaway is that the book is about developing a rapport. So you practice enough times, you use the method that's in the book, and you don't have to worry about whether or not you're saying the right thing. It's more about developing trust in your communication so that when your kid comes into a situation in high school, Um, that might be a little bit scary or lonely or hurtful for them, they know they can come to you because you've already established that you're someone who can talk without freaking out and who is open to listening and who respects what they have to say.
0: Well, I love that about the book too, because reading it, it's very reassuring and it sends a message to parents. You're not alone each each chapter is something that we struggle with when you have a middle school, high schooler. And so just knowing that as you're reading, it's like, oh, you know, because we do when they hit those years. I certainly know for me, I freaked out. Right. And I had no idea. And you have those scripts in the book to help, at least to give some guidelines to how you can talk about it, um, which are just very, very helpful. What would you say some of the biggest language barriers? You mentioned one was that we do freak out. What are some of the other barriers?
1: I think the biggest biggest problem that I hear from parents, and I mean, I can relate to this myself, is you're afraid that your child is not going to listen to you. And, you know, maybe historically they at the beginning of early adolescence, they stopped. And and that's very normal and natural. So I always say the job of language is to tie groups of people together. And the job of tweens and teens is to break ties apart. They are working developmentally on the process of becoming an individual. And so in order to become independent, it's messy and they have to separate from you. And sometimes that feels like rejection or like they're fighting with you or they're contrarian on everything. Um, but that is a huge language barrier in and of itself. So then you have a parent who says, well, my kid is not listening to me anymore. They're not talking to me as much. They only want to talk to their friends. I know I should be talking to them about these key issues of safety and development and, and whole growth. So what parents do is they just dive right in the deep end. They're like, I might get 30 seconds <laughs> before my kid you know, walks away or freezes or picks up their phone. So they jump right in and they very quickly will be like, hey, listen, I I know you don't like talking about this stuff, but really quickly, I just need to know, have you vaped before? Because we need to talk about it. It's really, you know, yeah. <laughs> and the kid is like, what? No! What is happening? Shush. So um, my suggestion is I give this model in the book of this thing called brief. Yes. It's that a 5 step process. Yeah. So it's basically, it's an acronym. And, and instead of starting with the the big dive into the deep end, um, you start with B, which is begin peacefully. That's like just having a little gentle curiosity about a subject with your kid. So not like, Hey, have you ever, but, but like, what are your thoughts on this topic? Like are parents getting this right? Or do you think it's overblown? You know, just, just real tangential at this point, (laughs) you're dipping your toe in the water. R is relate to your kid. And that's just an opportunity to show that you, you're you not there to be an arc. You you're not trying to bust them. You're just developing a rapport. So you can say something that acknowledges that it's a new kind of conversation for you, or you remember talking about this with your parents and it was always weird. You'll try not to make it weird like they did. Something to show that you're on the same team. Um, I, in brief, is interview for data. This is where you can ask some questions. And really, it's, again, neutral. You're not trying to be like, you know, Uh, have you done anything with your boyfriend? You know, you're not not overly personal, but you're just exploring like, what are their values and their thoughts and their beliefs on this? What do they, what have they heard? What do they think? And then E is echo what you hear. So like, that's, you know, what you hear every therapist say, or a therapist on TV say, so it sounds like you're saying this, am I, am I hearing you right? You're just kind of checking for comprehension. And then F is feedback. And that's where you get the opportunity to like, give a little advice, Offer your suggestions if you need to set limits or boundaries, that kind of thing, expectations. But that's where most parents start, and that's why kids don't listen because they don't build that rapport with the first four steps.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I just want our listeners to know at each topic, like the dating, and you have friendships, and you have um, tell tell them like there's criticism and all those different things that kids go through. Um, you have at the end, you have the brief method when it comes to talking about, about each one, which is yeah, super- so how you can use it. Tell them just real quickly what the what um the categories are.
1: Sure. So um they're pretty broad. I the way I thought of this, there are 14 chapters with 14 different um sort of broad topics that I would love for you to talk to your kids about. Starting in middle school and then going on forever, hopefully. But definitely, I think it's important to start if you can before they launch into high school. Um, And they range big sort of picture ideas like how to hang on to creativity in your life. I know a lot of parents are worried about screen time or like Mm -hmm. their kids who used to be artistic or play music are like, I quit. I'm not into it. I just want to, you know. Look at myself in the mirror or play on my iPhone. <laughs> so, yeah. like, how do you how do you understand creativity and keep it alive for your kid? What does independence look like? How do you have conversations about your kid earning more independence? What's appropriate at different ages and stages? Um, technology is a big one. What kind of relationship do you want your kid to have with technology? Um, and then, it, it, in each of these really kind of broader topics, are the the stuff that I know is weighing heavy on parents' minds. So like, um, there's one about, there's a chapter about taking care of yourself. Okay. Yeah, In that chapter, that those conversations range from, please, will you wear deodorant all the way to, how do you talk to your kid about suicide, right? So like, mm-hmm. taking care of yourself is a massive range of concepts. I cover them in the book from sort of a high level, what you need to know. And then give you some scripts so you can talk about them in a way that won't freak your kid out. And you can really, you can let them know that you're a safe person to come to, to talk about these tough things.
0: Which is the most powerful thing we can do, right? thing. You're helping parents to build that foundation before you get to these things in high school and you don't know how to talk about it. You've already been laying this foundation that makes it easier. And you're not like just reacting
1: Right. I mean, it's heart heartbreaking whenever we read a news story about a family who's lost a child who's died by suicide, or a family, you know, where a a child has experienced what is not an abnormal thing anymore, of like sending a nude to someone thinking they were safe in doing that as a teenager. And then their life is ruined because their peers ostracize them and they end up having to switch schools and it follows them around. These news stories are happening all the time. And it breaks my heart when um the, the parents are like i thought i thought they would come to me to talk about this kind of thing you know and this is not a guarantee that your kid will but i think it it's greasing the wheels in a really nice way so that it, i think it's increasing your opportunity tremendously that your kid will feel safe coming to you if they feel so burdened
0: yeah i love that being that safe place yeah i, think, I wanted to i put picked out just a few of the pain points that you discuss and one is that independence that you're talking about yeah. And you do hear every scary story that comes down the pike, like your kid's riding their bike and they don't have their helmet on. And then, you know, before you know it, a helicopter's coming. So moms are even scared to let their kids ride their bike outside, or you're scared to let them go to the mall or, you know, all those, yeah. all those things that we're really freaked out about. But you talk about how giving kids more independence in their tween years keeps them safer than clamping down. And I was like, wow, that's really important. So will you share a little bit about what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. So this is very counterintuitive for parents. Again, you know, the stuff you just listed and a million more worst case scenarios pop into our head all the time. And we think, well, gosh, now's the time I really need to clamp down because this is the point at which they can get very hurt going out into the world. Um, And it's true that safety is important, of course, and we need to have boundaries for our kids, but your child's brain at this point in their life, and that's from like 11-ish on, um, is really driven to take risks. And and that is on purpose. Your child will not be able to do the things they need to do developmentally to become an independent person if their brain doesn't get super high on the idea of risk. (laughs) I mean, otherwise, imagine your child being like, huh, should I try to get good grades in school so that I could get into a decent college someday and then get a good job? No, that seems pretty risky because my parents pay my rent right now and I have everything I need where I live. So why would I take that kind of risk of going out on my own, right? Their brain doesn't know the difference between a good risk and a bad risk. It's just biologically and neurologically driven to take risks because that's what becoming independent is, a huge risk, becoming independent, rather. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So knowing that when we take away their opportunities to take risk, they go underground because they are completely driven to have to explore this part of life So we say, like, there's zero social media, you get it when you're 18 years old, you're not allowed to have it because it's too risky, it damages your self esteem, you might meet strangers, blah, 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 it's a waste of your time. And kids are like, okay, let me go set up a little account that no one knows about because I have to go underground to do this because I can't do it out in the open. Um, Or let me sneak out of my window at 2 a.m. because I never get the chance to go out into the world on my own and I need to explore it a little bit. So, some measure of positive risk taking and safe risk taking, it's super important that we allow that for kids. And I'm not saying like open the floodgates, (laughs) I don't want them to be on every social media platform all at once with no instruction or mentoring or anything like that, but they need to get a sense of thrill in their lives. And if they don't, they will go seeking it
0: somewhere else. Yes. And not in the best places. And not
1: in the best places.
0: Yeah. And then you get that rebellion, like you're flying, the sneaking. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I think that we often, I certainly know I did this with my oldest. I didn't know how to have these conversations. So I was clamping down and you know, trying to protect her because it didn't seem like there was a middle ground. It was like that time I just didn't know. So it was like I was parenting more out of fear and wanting to clamp down and say no to things. but then it didn't work. It totally backfired. But I think that it was because I didn't really know how to talk to her. and and that's so important. like how do we talk to our kids so we don't jumping in out of that fearful place and just want to control everything.
1: I love that you said that. I love it for two reasons. One, because people think that someone like you, who's an expert here, or someone like me, you know, we didn't make mistakes. We just, you know... (laughs) And like, I'm here because I have like walked through the flames and I can tell you (laughs) what works and what doesn't. And I think it's really important for other parents to hear the transparency in that a little bit. Like no one's perfect. There's no way to be a perfect parent and you get the kid you get and your kid is going to make mistakes. They're human. So it's all about how you talk about it. Right.
0: And we're not going to talk about it perfectly either.
1: Right. Yeah. You're not going to talk about it perfectly. And, and no one who reads the book is going to come away from it being like, aha, now I know all the right words to say, you know, yeah, yeah. but you are going to develop a level of comfort with the conversation. Yes. And even with the conversations that are botched that you're like, ah, oh, well, oh, well that one didn't go right, but the next one might, I'm going to keep trying. So I exactly. think that's really key and finding that middle ground, like you said, of it's not just there's like this sort of brand of parenting that is like, well, my kid doesn't need to be my friend. I just need to be the warden of the jail. And that's that. And that is where you get that sneaky rebellion. A lot of times your kids for sure need boundaries. They for sure need you to put limits on their lives. And when their world gets a little too big, you've got to make it a little bit smaller, but it's not the warden prison scenario. It, I mean, it really is just truly it's like a boss at work. Like you care about them. You really want them to succeed and do well,
0: but you have to provide guidance. Exactly. Which makes me think about your racquetball, the walls of a racquetball court and creating boundaries and boundaries are so important, but we don't know how to do that either. Usually. I mean, nobody taught us how to do that. And many of us were raised where this is what i Say and yes. this is what you do, and so it's like, how do you do that? So, can you share a little bit about the boundaries and the racquetball walls? And
1: yeah, so that's a metaphor that I um, introduced in this book as I was thinking about the sort of fearfulness that we have around these conversations. And I know for many parents, the, the concern is like, this conversation could go anywhere, and it might go somewhere that I can't handle right? If we're talking about some of these topics, like, well, I know I need to talk about pornography because my kid has an iPad, or I know I need to talk about um, drugs. And what if my kid says like, well, mom, what have you ever tried? You know, like, so we're very afraid of where the conversations might go. And sometimes that causes us not to talk. My analogy is um, to think of your family um, and your conversations within your family as, as if you're on a racquetball court. And for me, Racquetball is really scary. It's <laughs> <So, like, laughs> loud and zoomy, and the ball could really hurt you. And it's like jarring and unexpected. And I'm like, the best I can do is a little light yoga. Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> gentle and peaceful. So the idea of racquetball is like, ugh. Um, but what makes racquetball safe is that you have these four walls, right? So the ball is going to zoom everywhere, but you understand that there is a level of boundaries and control around the system itself that keeps it from going absolutely insane, right? And what I recommend for parents is to just take some time to sit quietly or talk with your partner or a friend and think about what four walls for my family that I think keep us safe, And they can be really specific to you. Um, So I'll tell you what mine were just by way of example. Um, My first one is sleep. It is so important to me. I was not a a terribly strict parent except for bedtimes. I was like, you know, guarded that like a hawk. Um, So really important to me that I got a good amount of sleep and that my kids got a good amount of sleep. That was one. Um, Autonomy was another one for me. I knew that it was really important that my kids become independent and that I wanted them to learn skills to become independent. So starting things early on, like them packing their own lunches, you know, or me having autonomy, having time to do the hobbies and things that I love, not serving them all the time. Mm -hmm. That was important. Um, This idea of like dignity and unconditional love was really important to me. And, and I think I have those listed as separate ones. So those are my four. Um, dignity as like, not just us in this family, but that we extend the idea of dignity to all human beings that no matter who we are talking about or thinking about or angry with, or you know feel like we could never forgive, there is inherent worth in that person that we need to keep as part of the conversation. So that was a big one and that, in the unconditional love piece was that I made it abundantly clear. Probably my kids were like, okay, okay, we get it. <laughs> that I love them no matter what, no matter how they identified or who they were or what mistakes they made, you know, they could come to me and be well-loved despite any flaws they felt or any um, insecurities they had or problems they caused that would n- never impact how I loved them or talked about how I love them. So those are my four. And parents can just think about like, what are the four for our family that keep our conversations really safe?
0: I love that. Because boundaries, we think about more out of fear, I think. Yeah. I think, you know, I have to protect them from all the bad things that can happen versus setting this vision and these values. And as this umbrella of how we choose to live and who we want to be. yeah so much more empowering. I love that.
1: Thank you. I, I do think that. it's like a little harness safety harness you get to wear when you're ziplining. you know what I mean? Like yeah. we need that
0: comfort level. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about friendships. And yeah. I wrote down, I actually when I read this, I was working with a mom yesterday and I I immediately, after I read it, emailed it to her. Mm -hmm. And she was like, wow, thank you. Thank you so much. She was struggling with this whole thing with um, one of her kids with friendships. So I just want to read this. This is the age when your child becomes obsessed with their friends and classmates. To the exclusion of logic, reason, prior commitments, curfews, family time, and geographical restrictions. Between grades six and nine, kids will do just about anything to be brought into the social fold of their peers. It does, I love this, and it does seem extreme at this age. And parents are, especially with the pandemic, their kids are in their rooms, they're on their phones with their friends, and the parents are like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, they take it personally. They don't want to be with me anymore. Can you bring some, some illumination to this whole thing and, and speak to this?
1: Sure. And I, I will say that I had, um, I have two kids and when they were this age, I had one of each. I had a kid who couldn't spend more than five minutes with us at home, you know, was like constant FOMO and needed to be with friends all the time. And it was beyond frustrating. We would be like, just one night, stay home one night. You don't have to go be with your friends. And then I had another uh, child who was the opposite, who liked to spend some time with friends, but really ideally would be on the couch with us watching TV at night. And and I know that there are some parents who have that kid who are like, "Uh uh-oh, is something wrong with my kid that they don't want to go out and be with their peers? You know what's going on. Um, I think that the need to be with friends is possibly um, a broader scope <laughs> of the listeners. So what I will say is that both both are totally fine. Um, the idea is that I, I call this phase of life the middle school construction project a piece of that project that your child is building three things they need to become an adult. They need an adult body, an adult brain, and an adult identity. And that identity piece is really what comes into play here. They have to figure out who they are apart from you. And that's this is the first step in figuring that out. And, And up until this point, you as the parent have really made all of the choices that sort of Um, encompass your kid's brand, who they are. You've decided what activities you'll sign them up for based on like what your friends were signing their kids up for. So you could carpool together, right? Or um, you chose the clothes and hung them in the closet, but you know, and they could choose from those to wear to school. Um, You arranged the play dates. So you kind of structured their social group for them. Come middle school, there is this like deep burning need a kid has to establish those things for themselves. I want to choose how I look and present myself to the world. I want to choose what people I get to hang out with. I want to um, decide what I'm interested in, what hobbies I want to have, what people I want to hang out, you know, the whole thing. And it's a huge separation. And when a child separates like that from their family, they have this like unconscious realization of, oh, I'm quite alone right now, right? Like I am not tucked under my parents' wing anymore. I need a tribe. Yeah. And they realize that, that that you sort of created the beginning for them, but that you're not their future, right? Their future is among their peers. Mm-hmm. That's who they will partner with. That's who they will be working with. That's who they will be, you know, going through college with, like all of that stuff. And they, at a very um, deep level, without being able to articulate it, they are priming for that and they know that. And so they will do just about anything to telegraph to their peers that they are quote unquote normal and acceptable and should be welcomed into the tribe. And that's what's happening at this age.
0: Yeah. And it's so important developmentally that for us to remember, they really do need to do this, but it's hard when each of my kids stopped dressing. Right. (laughs) I was like, Oh man that, but you're wearing all black. What's that? You know, (laughs) like totally going against, or you would say black, they say white, right? It's just like, it's just crazy how that starts happening at this age. And it can be very unsettling for us, but we have to remember, this is really necessary. And if we allow that, I found that, oh, my daughter's kind of starting to add some color back in her wardrobe, or she's not wearing sweatpants every day
1: to school. <laughs> That's right. I mean, they have to dress all like each other to all become a yes. tribe. And it's the reason they start talking like each other, the slang thing, like they are forming ties as their own little society, pre-society, you know? So um, they want to they telegraph. And that means if everybody's wearing a hoodie every day to school, I too will be wearing a hoodie every day to school.
0: <laughs> totally. The hoodie. The hoodie. And that, it time. doesn't fit. It's really huge. Yes, that's right. It has to be extra large. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so funny. Um, Another thing you talk about that we just have to touch on is hygiene, is a self-care thing. Yeah. It comes up so often in our community about, my kid won't wear deodorant, they won't take a shower. Please, how do you? (laughs)
1: This uh, This is one that I hear all the time, too, and it's the reason it made it into the book is that um right at the end of elementary school beginning of middle school kids really resist hygiene and i i truly don't know what the like scientific reasoning is for this but um but mostly it's a new habit that's hard to form it's just sort of a laziness around it um and so i have parents who freak out and they say like my kid is going to be completely rejected by their peers are they socially weird Is something wrong with them? Do they have a moral flaw that they cannot abide by the social contract that we all agree to, to like not be horribly stinky out in the world, right? And so they worry about that in a uh, long-term context. But the fact is, it is mostly a matter of habit building. And so my advice to parents in this area is to go to the drugstore and buy about six deodorants and keep them around your house. Keep one in the kitchen, keep one in your car, keep one in the living room, keep one on the stairs, like just scatter them around. And when your child needs to put on deodorant, because normally the scenario is your kid comes downstairs, you're walking out the door and you're like, Ooh, Hey, did you put on deodorant? And they lie and say they did. And you know, they didn't, (laughs) but they're too lazy to go back upstairs and do it. So if you have access to it all over and you just say, don't worry, I have some in my car, you can put it on and let's try to remember to do it right after your shower next time. And you have some right outside of the shower and on the bedroom dresser, just invest in scattering them around. And almost everyone figures this out naturally anyway, right? Like very, yeah. very few adults are clueless about this. So they get it. You just have to make it easy for them to build the habit.
0: Yeah. I love that. Cause they're not used to putting deodorant yeah. on.
1: And they don't break their stride. They are like busy doing something, going to a friend's
0: house, whatever. Thinking about something else. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, thank you. There's so much more to talk about, but I know for sake of time, I want you to speak um, to one more thing. You say how to say no when no is the best answer.
1: Yeah. So um, the book is a a gentle approach, but it's not one that says that kids don't need boundaries or that you shouldn't say no sometimes. So um, on the subject of saying no, what I recommend is that you set some goals for your kid that no, isn't just a a complete sentence. I know we say that a lot in our culture, like for women, especially it's important to say like no is a complete sentence. And I really like that. But when it comes to your kid, if they're asking for something, and it's not the right time, they're not ready for it, that's fair, and you say no, you've gotta really do some work to think about what would make this the right time, right? What does my kid need to be able to do to show me they can handle in order to be able to to do this, to go to the mall without me, to get a TikTok account, to, you know, whatever it may be. So um, instead of saying when you're 18, I would love to have parents think about what are the qualities that I want them to have. I want to know that they can say no if someone approaches them and asks them to do something that they don't want to do. I want to know that they can use their voice in public to speak up if something bad is happening. And I include a list in the book of ways your child can demonstrate those things to you. So it helps a kid to hear not yet, you know.
0: Yeah, not just yeah, because we're so quick to say no. Yeah. Thinking it through. Right. Sometimes then I would get wishy-washy. I would say no immediately. And then I would start doubting my no. And then my teenager would be working me Mm -hmm. and I'd be like, Oh, maybe I should not have said no. You know, not that we can't change our minds as parents, but I was doing that a little too much because I wasn't thinking it through. So I think that you bring parents through that process. Yes. That's a milestone. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, tell parents, uh, are there any parting words, first of all? Any other, anything that encouragement that you could add before we go?
1: Yeah, don't worry if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I've already screwed it up or I haven't, you know, we don't have a good rapport right now because this is an age where your child is reinventing themselves anyway. So you can come at them with a totally new approach and reinvent the way you're communicating with them. And it will fall in line really naturally with where they are developmentally. So it's the perfect time to read the book, think it through sort of establish, as we talked about what some of your thoughts are on these things and start fresh.
0: Yeah, love that. It's never too late. Never. For we're learning. Like we're learning right along with our kid. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it. So tell people where to find you. And I'll put a link to your book um, oh. in in, you know, the notes and everything to this so they can find it easily. But tell them, tell them where to find you.
1: Yeah. So a couple places. Um, and you just need my name to find me. So my name is Michelle with two L's. And then my last name is I-C-A-R-D. It's Eichard, but it looks like iCard. So my website is michelleichard.com and I've got lots of stuff there, um, including a course you can take with your child. So if you read the book and you're like, Good, but also, I still want someone to hold my hand at the beginning of these conversations. There's a link to the course in there. And that's a monthly module you can sit down and on each of these topics we've talked about today and do that with your kid. So the website is there. And then you mentioned, you know, we know each other on Instagram. I'm having a lot of fun over there, a lot of 80s flashbacks, a lot of little parenting tips. So it's just my name, Michelle Eichard. And then my um, Facebook group for parents is Less Stressed Middle School Parents.
0: Oh, love that. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah! I didn't know that you were doing the courses. I saw a course, but I didn't look at it. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just wanted That's to available. give,
0: sorry? I said that you're making that available to parents. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, this is, this is a new venture for me, but I really like the idea of um, the parents reading the book, but then bringing the kid into the process too.
0: And did you say it's once a month? It's, it's once a, a
1: month, month, the module once a
0: month, yeah. Isn't that nice? So that makes it where you're not trying to cram it down their throat. Yeah, and then that's it's, I, it's your giving space. <laughs> that's
1: the point. Yeah. Like you get the module you it's only 30 minutes. So it's just an opportunity for you two to have fun together, you and your kid talking about these topics, connecting on it. And then you have the rest of the month to naturally just kind of explore where that topic takes you.
0: I love it. Well, Michelle, thank you. Thank you so much for this book. And thank you for being with us today. Sure. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Well, that's it for today. And thank you so much for listening. Michelle was awesome, wasn't she? And again, her book is 14 Talks by Age 14. And I really encourage you to check it out. Also, you can go to momsoftweensandteens.com and I have a free mini course for you called Five Days to Transform Your Relationship with Your Teen and Tween. And if you go to the site, you'll see the drop down menu and you can sign up to get that. We are always looking for ways to serve you better on this journey, parenting, your adolescent. So uh, I'd love to hear from you and know how I can support you, Cheryl, at moms of tweens and MomsOfTweensAndTeens.com. So thanks again for joining me. And next week, Charlotte Markey will be with us and we will be talking about her book, The Body Image Book for Girls, Love Yourself and Grow Up Fearless. So I hope to see you back here next week. Have a great week, mamas, and make sure to be kind to yourself because you deserve it.